what up, it's your boy Cool Shep. This podcast is brought to you by my boy Joey T and Tyrese Maxi. But right now, you know, we just maxing on the courts, hailing from the streets of South Philly. Sometimes it gets a little hectic out there, but right now, we go up you on how we just chill. What is going on, Sixers fans? Welcome back into another edition of Trust the Podcast. I am your host, Joe Tooney. As always, you know, coming into this podcast, it's been a little over a week since my last Trust the Podcast. I was ready to really, really go hard on the Sixers. I was really upset with how they looked on Thursday against the Hawks. Uh, James Harden's hurt. There's a lot of issues with the team right now. I was ready to lay into them. But I'm going to have to push some of those negative thoughts to later in the podcast because the Sixers earned a really nice 121-109 win over the Hawks tonight. Across the board, you know, I thought it was a good effort for the Sixers. Now, they did nearly allow the Hawks to get back in the game. Uh, in the third quarter, I believe the Hawks went on a it was an 18-3 run to get back in the game after we were up huge at one point, but we still were able to get the double-digit victory in the end. Joel Embiid made sure to get a season-high 42 points by making his only three-pointer of the game with seconds remaining. He had 42 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks. What a performance for him. He always seems to excel against Atlanta. We've seen this for a long time. Going back to, they mentioned on the broadcast, his big game right before the pandemic against the Hawks, but also we saw him succeed against them in the playoffs a few years back. We obviously know we didn't. As a team, we didn't succeed in that series, but Joel had a pretty solid series, in my opinion, from what I remember. Now, what most impressed me about Joel tonight, though, is something that I've been talking about for a lot, uh, for a while now with him, and that's his passing. Six assists, as I mentioned. He did have four turnovers, but a distinction I want to make there is I, I, Joel's turnovers aren't usually like him trying to make plays and make passes. It's usually he's getting uh, stripped by, you know, say DeJounte Murray on, off a steal or uh, maybe he'll, you know, step out of bounds, something along those lines. Embiid is obviously not the Jokic level passer, but when I was arguing Embiid versus Jokic MVP, a lot of people want to talk about how Embiid can't stack up the Jokic offensively. And my argument was always Jokic isn't the defender Embiid is. And, but I don't know, if people are going to argue that Jokic is kind of closer to Embiid defensively than you might think, I would argue the same with Embiid as a playmaker. We saw him, you know, the cutting from the role players tonight was really big for this Sixers team. We saw the likes of Shake Milton do that a lot to get to the rim. Early in the game, before he got injured, Furkan Korkmaz was getting in the paint. I think he had all six of his points off layups, and I think one of those at least was off a, a nifty Joel pass. Just And the passing as for the team as a whole I thought was impressive. I mean, with Harden out, I was worried. Uh, I really think that this team needs a backup point guard who can create shots, but for now we may do with Embiid and Maxi, who combined for 15 assists. Maxi had nine assists of his own along with 26 points. He was killing it as usual once again. He, he had a bad game on Thursday against the Hawks, but he was right back to firing tonight. Uh, so starting off in this game, it was interesting because DeAnthony Melton was out for us. And as I, I put a TikTok up about him a couple days ago, I've been really high on his efforts on both sides of the ball for us, but especially on defense. And it made sense to start Thibel. I, I'm not going to fault Doc Rivers too much there. I don't really think we could have gotten away with starting Korkmaz because I think we got to have some sort of ball stopper in the backcourt, at least on some level. So I was okay with Thibel starting. Uh, he, him and his 1.4 points per game is what I wrote down. But 
my thing with him, I have to go on a little Thibel rant here. We don't use him right. If you're going to start Matisse Thibel in a game, you got to use him correctly. you got to put him in positions to excel because I don't think the 76ers have put Matisse Thibel in the position to excel all season. It's why I wanted us to trade him. It was partially because of his disappointing playoffs, but it was more so because I didn't have the faith in this organization, this coach, Doc Rivers, to to motivate and coach Matisse to, to improve upon his game. And I thought if they weren't going to put the time in, to do that, we might as well trade him and get some some sort of uh, bench scorer, bench creator for him. But he's still on the team, and the reason he's, I, in my opinion, the reason he's struggling is that they're empowering him to shoot the three. That is not the way this coaching staff should have pointed Matisse in the direction of his development. We saw it last year with Harden. The first couple weeks after the trade deadline, Matisse was cutting like he never was before, and I was just mentioning the cutting with Embiid. The one guy who wasn't really doing that tonight was Matisse, and it was no fault of his own. It was the way he was schemed on the court for the most part. They had him lined up at the three-point line a lot. He shot four of his five shots tonight were three-pointers. We saw him after the All-Star break when Harden got here, averaging about 10 points a game, and it was all off backdoor cuts, off great feeds from Harden, and then that just vanished as the season uh, continued to roll along, and we haven't seen him get involved in that way again since. And right now, obviously, Harden is out with the foot injury, which is obviously a big deal. I didn't talk about that on the podcast yet. I'll, I'll briefly talk about it here. It's it's definitely disheartening, especially because he was playing fantastically. All we can hope for is that Harden stays true to what he said, that he's committed to winning, he's committed to this team, and he doesn't show up out of shape, and that he's going to get right back to the level of he was playing at before he got hurt. I think this Sixers team, if they play like they did tonight, if they play like they did against Phoenix two games ago, if they're able to play like that for a month, we're going to get by. However, we can't have games like we did on Thursday where we just were were not making shots. The defense was lackadaisical. Another thing that I noticed tonight, the points off turnover department for this team, they said it on the broadcast, at one point it was sixteen to, a 16-2 to advantage for us. I think it wound up being a 29-11 to 11 points off turnover advantage for us. That's a defensive effort the Sixers haven't consistently showed this year, and I was glad to see them do it in this contest. Now, I mentioned earlier how we started to let our foot off the gas in the third quarter. That's another thing the Sixers have been doing for years is letting their, taking their foot off the gas when they need to keep, uh, you know, keep going at the opponent. It was obviously too early for us to let, take our foot off the gas. It was not even the fourth quarter yet. However... I will be proud of us in that unlike you know when we played Atlanta in the playoffs a couple of years back, we were able to fight their comeback off and hold on for the win in the fourth quarter. So I can't complain too much. Uh, but at the same time, I don't like seeing us uh, allow 18-3 to runs in the middle of what was a blowout and make it become a close game. So I would like to see them shore up that a little bit. Another guy I wanted to talk about, Tobias Harris, he finished this game with 21 points, 6 rebounds, made 7 of his 13 field goal attempts. I always say it, you, anyone who listens to this consistently is probably sick of me saying it, but when Tobias Harris is decisive, he's going to play well, and when he's not decisive, he is going to be a cancer for this team in, on the court. Tonight he was, for the most part, very decisive. Uh, he, when he was getting those, I was talking about the ball movement earlier, when he was getting the the looks for three, he would just uncork the shot. He wouldn't try to do any uh, post moves. He wouldn't try to jab step anyone. For the most part tonight, he was either just chucking up the three as soon as he caught, uh, as soon as he caught it and shot it, or he would you know see the advantage against a guy like DeAndre Hunter who was having a tough night out there. He'd put his head down, 
get to the rim against him or someone maybe like Justin Holiday, whoever he was going against at any point in the game. I, we saw him get to the line six times tonight. He made all six of those free throw attempts. I like to see Tobias get to the line. I think he actually is pretty good at the dribble drive game. He just has to have the confidence. And some nights he, like like the first game against Atlanta, uh, he didn't have it. But tonight he, he did have it. and <laughs> It was nice to see. Uh, that pretty much wraps up all the individuals I wanted to touch on. I will say, uh, Shake Milton, I'm obviously not usually a Shake Milton guy, but I thought he was pretty good tonight as well. He had a one play I was really impressed uh, by in the first quarter. He had a nice nifty drive that got an and one and resulted in a three-point play for us. Shake Milton, I think, is a better driver than shooter. If Shake Milton was someone who, just like Tobias, but in a different vein, if he would drive to the rim more, I would probably like to see him play more. It's just that we need uh, three-point shooting, but Shake just isn't the guy to bring that usually. And you know, he only he only shot one three-pointer tonight. So if we can get more of that, Shake Millen, I'm okay with it. The problem is I don't really want it because I, I we we need when it's Melton and Shake off the bench together. Neither of those guys are going to be uncorking a ton of threes. So it's kind of a weird fit. I don't like the fit of Shake and Melton. So where that goes, I'm not sure. I would rather honestly. If Ferk isn't hurt too bad, Ferk was a guy that I thought could have a bounce back year. He hasn't been given a lot of minutes to prove that, but tonight he had a great game uh, till he, until he left with the injury. Seven points in four minutes, made all three of his shots, and he didn't even take any threes. You know, last year he supposedly was dealing with that nerve impingement, I believe it was. So I assumed he was going to get his three-point percentage uh, back up this year because he, he would be maybe a lot more consistent from three. I don't think he's gotten the minutes. I'm not trying to hate on Shake because, as I said, I thought he had a good game tonight. But I think going forward, when Melton gets back, he was out tonight, as I mentioned. I would rather see Melton paired with a shooter like Ferk because I just like that dynamic more. I think they can play off each other better where Shake kind of feels— tonight Shake was the lead guard off the bench. Melton wasn't out there so because he wasn't playing. And therefore, I thought Shake was able to get more touches, which probably allowed him to succeed a little bit more. Daniel House Jr., he's fine. I'm not going to complain what he's doing. He wasn't bad tonight. He's only had a few really bad games. But as I've said before, I just think that money should have gone to a point guard who can create shots, uh, maybe make some outside shots instead. I don't think with Ferk, with George Niang, with even P.J. Tucker, I don't think we needed another forward. I know Daniel House is a better defender than Furkan and Niang, but uh, I don't know. I just think that was a waste of cap space. I know it's not a big salary. It's only about $4 million, but I just think it could have gone somewhere else. So that's just, that's just my opinion, though. But overall, I was pretty pleased with this effort from the Sixers. I was not pleased with their effort uh, on, on Thursday, so I'll touch on that game briefly. I, I didn't get to watch much of this game because I was covering Penn State hockey, but in that game, Capella, 20 rebounds. Trey Young and DeJounte Murray weren't really doing much in terms of shooting the ball, but Trey was able to get the line, made 10 free throws, wound up with 26 points. DeJounte was bringing the defensive intensity, as he always does. They they got Embiid to commit eight turnovers in this game, and we were down 94-74 with eight minutes left in the contest. However, we eventually cut it to 194 with two minutes left in the game after the bench comes in when it looked like the game was over. Doc put the bench in. They went on a crazy run, but... In my opinion, some people would disagree with this. Some people would defend Doc Rivers here and say, leave the hot lineup in. The bench lineup was getting us back in the game. You leave them in. However, I think when you got guys like Embiid, Maxi, Tobias, 
uh, although Tobias didn't have a great game on Thursday. But nonetheless, when you have those kind of players and you're down six points in the modern NBA where all it takes is two three-pointers to tie the game, put Embiid and Maxi back in the game. Doc stuck with the bench lineup. And in my opinion, it cost us that game. I think even if Embiid was struggling at times in that contest, him and Maxi are still going to have the clutch gene. They're going to have the talent that two to three shots to get us back into the game with two minutes left, that was very doable. And I think Doc Rivers, uh, he just didn't do a good job in terms of his substitutions in that situation. So I don't know. It, some would disagree with that. I think some people would defend Doc there and say go with the hot hand. I wouldn't. I would go with the talent. So that kind of cost us that game in my opinion. But I also don't want to let the starters off the hook completely and only blame Doc because being down 94-74, they proved tonight – albeit it was at home instead of on the road, but they proved tonight that they can handle this Hawks team. They weren't able to do it uh, in the first Hawks contest on Thursday. So that's really all I have to say about this matchup. From an Atlanta standpoint, Trey Young is Trey Young. He had another strong game tonight, 27 points, 11 assists. We did get him to force. We did force him to have uh, seven turnovers, and he was a little inefficient from three, but the two he made I thought were pretty big. I believe they were both late in the game. Kind of helped the Hawks get back into it. DeJounte is just a guy I've always liked, especially last year with the Spurs, and I think he's fit with Trey pretty nicely. They're both hovering around that 8-10 to 10 assist range. They combined for 18 assists tonight. I believe it was even more on the Thursday, in the Thursday contest. Murray offensively, something I like about him, I think he can get to the mid-range pretty easily, and his three-pointer has improved. Uh, I don't think it's as lethal. If, if DeJounte Murray was a 40% three-point shooter, he, he would probably be an all-NBA caliber guard because when you throw in his defense, that's what he would be. But I think DeJounte, even though he wasn't super-duper efficient tonight, uh, 9-23 from the field, I think he gets to his spots pretty nicely. It also helps that he's a great rebounder. I, I like the way he's able to kind of shift around on the court. He, he can, he can kind of go into his bag and bring out these spin moves, these these underhook layups under the under the net, kind of what Tyrese can do, where he just like sprints towards the basket and kind of does a reverse layup. But it's different with DeJounte, where it's it's less like sprinting and more like this methodical thing he does. And I, I'm just a fan of that. And I, I don't know, he, he just is shifty with, with the ball in his hands. I, I just like what he's, what he's able to do. I just want to see more out of DeAndre Hunter and John Collins for this team. I think they're a little too inconsistent at times. They'll have their big games, but then they'll have their duds. They both had duds tonight, and I'll take it. It was against the Sixers. But going forward for this team, I, I think that's where they would want to either upgrade or and maybe that's an upgrade by those guys getting better or maybe it's an upgrade by making a trade and bringing somebody else in. So I think Atlanta will continue to be heard from this season, at least in the race for the play-in, if not the playoffs. I don't think they're going to uh, crater uh, too severely, with especially with guys like Trey and DeJounte, which I think is a top three backcourt in the league. So that really wraps up what I wanted to say about these two Atlanta games. I really think the Sixers' ball movement, their their play in transition tonight was a lot better than we've seen them in a few weeks, and that was encouraging. So hopefully, when Harden and Melton get healthy, that will further uh, continue to that will continue to happen in the future. One last thing I want to add: I thought it was a really interesting stat. Tyrese Maxey, as they showed on the broadcast, he leads the NBA in miles ran per game, two point nine one. He's almost running a five k out there. We know how fast Maxey is both getting to the rim, getting to his spots for three, but that just shows you that that guy's always working. He's always running all over the place. That's why everybody loves Tyrese Maxey. He's always working hard. So I just wanted to 
put that in there as well. I love I love what I see from Tyrese. I love how he keeps improving. And I don't know, I think he's going to be an all-star for the first time this season. We'll have two all-stars. It'll be Embiid and Tyrese. Harden's probably going to miss out with the injury, but that's all right. I'll take the Tyrese Maxey all-star appearance if that means Harden has to miss it. So that's going to do it for the Sixers content for this episode of the pod. But the Sixers, they're playing, another, they're playing again tomorrow night, and they're playing the number one team in the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz. They're off to a really surprising start. And now I'm going to be joined by Chris Reynolds, who came on to talk some non-Sixers stuff. We wanted to talk about Utah and how they were able, how they've been able to establish such a strong start to the season. And that's going to come at you right now. As promised, Chris Reynolds making another appearance on Trust the Podcast today because we want to talk about the 76ers' next opponent on the schedule, the Utah Jazz, who, you know, Chris, you came on the pod uh, a couple weeks ago. You and Darian were on. We were previewing the Western Conference, and we saved the Jazz to the very end because we grouped them in that team, that group of teams where we thought they had no chance of competing for the playoffs. We thought they were all in on Victor Wembanyama. We saw Danny Ainge trade Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert away for a plethora of draft picks, and it seemed like they just had a hodgepodge of veterans. But now, as the Sixers are coming into the game against them on Sunday, they're, what are they, 8-3 and three through 11 games tied for first in the Western Conference? Is that the stat? I think stat? they're 10-3 and three right now. 10-3 and three now? So they've been absolutely incredible. I don't know where this came from, but as someone who gets to watch more NBA games besides this, just the Sixers, what have you noticed about the Jazz? Why do you think they're, they've been able to put everything together so far? I think it helps that they have so many good veterans, but I just didn't think that would be good enough for them to compete like this. Well, I think part of partially Rudy Gobert is out. They don't have one guy that's taking over. I mean, I know Larry Marketing's been great, Conley's been great, but their ball movement, it's we were talking about this before. It's reminiscent of like the twenty fourteen Spurs where the they're all passing to each other where I got some stats here. They're sixth in the league in assists, then all five starters are averaging career highs assist wise. And then they're shooting the ball well from three. A lot of the guys are shooting above what you'd expect. Like I don't think Kelly Link's gonna shoot fifty percent from three for the <laughs> yeah. whole year. But five guys are shooting over thirty eight percent from three. Mm-hmm. And then they're attempting the fourth fewest mid range jump shots, so they're barely shooting any mid range. It's all threes and layups, and they're really high in getting open shots. Laurie Markinen is being used off the dribble, which what we've just been watching highlights where that's when he's best, not spot up. And Connolly's leading that team like a veteran, and it's he's looking more like the Connolly from Memphis because I. He's been fine on Utah, but now he's in more of his role that we're used to seeing. Yeah, I definitely agree. The Athletic put out a really interesting piece about that where it's kind of just talking. It was kind of an interview with Mike Conley, kind of like a feature piece about how he's kind of the leader of this team, and it's showing up. You mentioned everybody in the starting five, is that what you said, career-high assists? Yep. Mike Conley, eight a game, eight assists a game. He's playing like a true point guard. And like you said, Memphis Mike Conley is kind of coming out again. And I think... The good Memphis Mike Conley, when he was at his best, wasn't when he was scoring all those points on the bad teams. It was when he was the 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 leader of the offense, when they had Gasol and they had Zebo and they had Tony Allen to play the defense. That's when he was at his best, I agree, and he's kind of getting back to those roots here. And he's he's kind of the guy who makes this team work. But, of course, you mentioned my, my guy, Laurie Bird himself, Laurie Markkinen, has been killing it, and Mike Conley and his teammates are setting him up very well. He's averaging 23 points, 9 rebounds, a block a game, and to your point, he's he's been very effective from 2, shooting 65%. He's no longer, you know, he is still shooting only 34% from 3, but I think the fact that he's taking smarter shots and it seems like he's matured a lot as a player has really helped this team uh, come through. Do you think Laurie Markkinen's start 
is at all sustainable. He's only 25, so he could just be entering his prime here. But it's just I think it's really interesting that he's played as well as, as he has. I mean, I don't think this will keep up, but I do think that he is going to have his best season yet. And he's going to keep that going through because they're using him differently. It's not all of a sudden the shots are going in. It's he's He shot 40% of his shots on the Bulls were spot-up shots. But we're seeing this year they're giving him the ball and they're letting him create more and getting his own shots, moving without the ball, moving with the ball. And he's getting open, getting way better shots than he was in Chicago. And I think he was actually fine in Chicago, just he was really young, and I don't think that they gave him a lot of time to develop. And they gave him shot attempts, but the team wasn't great for him. Mm-hmm. Cleveland, he didn't. He couldn't stay on the court long enough, but I think he could keep a lot of this up. It's not like any of his like, field goal percentages are like inflated right now anyways. As you mentioned, his mm-hmm. three-point is insane. So I don't think this is going to take a major dip. I think he's going to be one of their main scoring options. And I, like, besides Olenek, a lot of that, a lot of their success seems sustainable because it's been 13 games. So, yeah. I think they're definitely at least like a play-in team by the end of the year, and I, that might be too harsh. I mean, that would be a big fall-off from how they're playing right now. I mean, they were projected 23 wins coming yeah. into the season. They're already at 10, so yeah. they're almost halfway there. And the funny thing is, as you know, or as we know, Chris loves dumping on Rudy. I, I'm, I like <laughs> dumping on Rudy, too, maybe not to the same degree, but Utah owns the Minnesota pick swaps. So if Minnesota continues to be an absolute mess, maybe they're still in the race for some of those top a uh, few picks. I mean, if if Minnesota uh, gets their their balls to bounce in a lucky way, they could be they could have that number one pick if they keep playing like they are right now. If the Jazz, so if the Jazz got Wembenyama and they made the playoffs, that would actually be the funniest. <laughs> that would be insane. That would be the funniest outcome yeah. of the NBA season. Timberwolves gave up way too much for Gobert to the point where I don't know why they did it. They were they almost beat the Grizzlies the year before, and I think they made their team worse yeah. and they gave up their future. And now the Jazz are sitting on. A collection of good players now with t- picture of the future. It reminds me of what the Warriors have, where obviously right now the Warriors aren't off to a great start, but where they have young pieces and old pieces. Mm-hmm. And I know their old pieces aren't Steph and whatever, but a lot of these guys are playing well. And even the guys like Sexton and Clarkson, I thought would be shooting like 25 yeah. times a game. <laughs> like before the year, I was saying Sexton's just going to ball out and just shoot as much as he can, but they're actually playing team basketball, yeah. which I think was not expected. I agree. And so you're talking about team basketball. Their new coach, Will Hardy, the former Boston Celtics assistant, it was very he was a very highly coveted assistant. Boston wanted to keep him, and I'm sure they wish they did after this Eme situation. Not that Joe Mazzulla has been bad, but at the same time, I think Will Hardy probably was an option they would have preferred, but Danny Ainge came and stole him away. And he's implemented, like you said, a very good team-oriented basketball scheme. And I like how... I like the starting lineup versus the bench. I like how he's balancing the players on this team. In the starting lineup, you have Conley. We said he's kind of playing that defensive hard-nosed point guard. He's being the leader. He's creating shots for everyone. Clarkson is in the starting lineup for the first time in a long time in his career. And let me look at his numbers here. Shooting 41% from three. That's an easy career high for him. Eight attempts a game. And he's kind of just doing what he does best, getting buckets. You know, we, we know he won sixth man of the year with Utah a few years back. But it seems like he's just comfortable uh, being able to shoot the ball this year. I don't know why he's so much more comfortable, but it could be, like you said, that ball that, that ball movement is giving him more open looks. It's giving him more ability that he feels, well, when the ball comes to me, I can go get that shot because everybody else, you know, Vanderbilt, he's there pretty much just to be the, the physical defender, the, the rebounder. And then, like you said, I don't think Olenek's 57% three-point shooting is going to be sustainable. But who is Olenek? He is a veteran who he's one of the better three-point shooting bigs in the league. You're not going to expect him to, you know, lock anybody down defensively. 
But we've seen him score the ball. You know, we saw what he did in the playoffs with the Celtics against Washington. We saw what he did on a bad team in Houston where he was averaging 18 a game. So he clearly has a lot of talent. And I think when you have guys like Conley and Vanderbilt in the starting lineup kind of just playing that tough basketball, you have Clarkson, you know, kind of being empowered to shoot the ball as much as he is. And then you have Markinen just playing great. A guy like Kelly Olynyk, when he he's not going to take a ton of shots, but when he is, he's probably going to be open. Wouldn't you say? I think that's why they're starting five. Everybody kind of compliments each other. Yeah, and they think they might be top of the league in spacing, or if they're not first, they're up there. A first in offensive rating, which is just absurd when you think about it. And their defense isn't bad either. Yeah, but they're Olenek, fourth in offensive rating, but they're the number one scoring team in the league. That's what it is. Yeah. So Olenek, I think, is one of those guys that works for every team where he can just shoot. And he, I feel like he should be on better teams. Where I feel like, but he's just Danny Ainge's he, guy. He used to be. Yeah, and then. I feel like Danny Ainge, I'm talking about Will Hardy here. Danny Ainge stole him. We heard our guy Bill Simmons talk about this extensively <sighs> yeah. where he was ranting the moment he got taken by Utah, which mm-hmm. was a good take now because of how good he's been. But one thing we noticed was, do you remember when um, was Luke Walton would on the Lakers and when he was on the Kings would have like a hard minute count for each player to take them out? Mm. Will Hardy is the exact opposite where if a guy's playing well, he actually keeps them in, which makes sense. Great and point. Against the Hawks, uh, the Jazz had a re- uh, comeback the other day. He kept their guys in. They were playing well. Malik Beasley, who was going off, he kept in and played him more minutes, which makes sense is what a good coach does compared mm-hmm. to these other coaches that have a strict... <coughs> Doc. <laughs> so Doc Rivers would like take someone out, but he leaves them in. If they're feeling it, keeps them in because no one player is above everyone else in that team. They're all a similar team-level like player. There's no Donovan Mitchell that has to go in, mm-hmm. which I think enables the coach to do more for the team. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And someone that fits that description perfectly is Colin Sexton, who they they signed, uh, well, they got him in a sign-and-trade with Cleveland as part of the Mitchell trade, but they, they signed him to the long-term contract. Right now, he's playing 22 minutes a game off the bench, shooting 46% from the field, 38% from three, easily the most efficient I've seen Colin Sexton play, 14 points a game. Now, you look at his game log. There's some games where he only played about 10 to 12 minutes because, yeah. you know, maybe Clarkson or maybe, uh, you know, Beasley was hot. There's other games where he played almost 30 minutes and he scored 20-plus points because, to your point, this is kind of just, and to my point as well, this is kind of just a group, a collective group of veterans uh, who know who know how to play their games. They're all comfortable in their own skin at this point. Really, Laurie's the only guy who is, you know, taking a leap forward. Everybody else is kind of just who they've been. But that's a good thing. I, I think that's a really interesting part of this team. Yeah, with Sexton, what they've done is they usually put him in for the in seven minutes in the first half. And then based on how well he plays those seven minutes, they keep him in or not. Because yeah. he's one of those streaky players. And I was I always love Sexton. I think it's because the game where he dropped 40 against Kyrie. Oh, that was incredible. That was a game I watched that in full. And the fact that he did yeah. that against Kyrie made him one of my favorite players. Yeah. So Sexton, though, I think he has taken a jump forward in terms of just how he plays. Because it seems like with him and Garland, he was just trying to be the scorer. But... It's, they have no one that's coming in and just putting up shots. They're all playing well, which I think is the main point. And they just have like a lot of guys that can get hot for them, which is why the coach can actually have a big impact on determining who plays and how that actually impacts the game. Yeah, and Beasley as well. It's nice to see him play because he had kind of a down year with Minnesota last year, but he's shooting 42% from three so far this year. Another guy in double yeah. figures uh, on the year points-wise. And then they, they, they the rest of their rotation is weird. Like their final three guys, Walker Kessler – he is kind of like Rudy Gobert light, except like, you know, he's not a starter, so it kind of works better. You're not really worried about him getting played off the court. He's averaging 1.7 blocks in 15 minutes a game. That, that's really impressive, for especially for a rookie, shooting 74% from the field, just, you know, getting lobs, getting dunks. 
the two guys in this rotation where I'm interested to see if they'll either start playing better or they can replace them in the rotation. Rudy Gay and Taylor Horton Tucker. Now, Rudy Gay actually does have the best defensive rating in the NBA so far this season for any individual player, but I don't really think that's sustainable. I don't think it's because Rudy Gay's a lockdown defender. I think it's kind of just he's probably hasn't had the guard uh, anyone who's shooting the ball too much. I mean, you would think, yeah. wouldn't you think he's probably not guarding? I don't think Rudy Gay is going to be top in the league in defensive rating yeah, like, um, at he, this point I in just, I just think he's not guarding like the bench players who are shooting a lot. He's probably guarding whoever is barely shooting, you know? Yeah. And then for THT, listen, I know he had a couple games. The other the other day, everyone was posting the highlight of his, his step-back three-pointer. Yeah. Still shooting 25% from three this year. I, I think he's one of the worst offensive players that plays a lot in the league. I think the Taylor Horn Tucker love is extremely unnecessary. Yeah. I don't understand. I, you play with LeBron, which got him a lot of hype, but I really don't think he's going to be one of these guys on Utah that's going to be one of their actual helping forces down the stretch of the season. <laughs> I, I I said after like halfway through, I was like, all right, if I'm Danny Ainge, who like has all these picks, you'd want to tank. But at this point, they actually have something going. So they actually shouldn't trade their guys. I just think Kalenhorn Tucker is one of these guys that's expendable that isn't going to be one of their main players because I don't think he's that good. I think he's fine, but like, there's one highlight that's going to go viral just because he has a famous name because he played for the Lakers. That doesn't mean he's actually – he's probably one of the worst players on this deep team. I agree, and I'm hoping – my hope for this team, if they're actually going to be a playoff contender, which I'm, I'm not going to – I don't really want to say if they will or not, but at 10-3 first in the West, I mean, we are about a month into the season. At this point, we might as well take them at least somewhat seriously. So if they are going to compete, I would like to see Okai Baji eventually get into Taylor Horton Tucker's spot on this team because that's the 14th pick in the draft, major score in college at Kansas last year. I believe he won the Wooden Award, but I could be misremembering that, but I believe he did. And I was really excited when Cleveland drafted him because I thought he was going to fit perfect with Garland as that, you know, he can both catch and shoot and also come around on screens and shoot the three. He's just a good, in college at least, he was a very good three-point shooter who could sh- who could shoot it in different uh, scenarios. You know, he wasn't just yeah. limited to one one role as a scorer. And, you know, I maybe the NBA learning curve's taken him a little longer to adjust. He has gotten into a few games here. But after we saw how he shot in college, I would expect him to hopefully by the end of the year take Talon Horton's Tucker's spot because I think he's going to be a really good pro. I mean, his gameplay can fit with any team, especially the Jazz, where he can just get open shots. I feel like at this point, Talon Horton Tucker is not going to take this major step forward. If he was, it would have been one last year with the Lakers. And I know he's this long wingspan, but it's not even like defensively he's that great either. Mm -hmm. So. I think just he has a way higher ceiling than Tatum Horn Tucker. I don't think it's a big role, so I'd like to see him throughout the season get more minutes because he could fit with this offense that's already really good. I don't love Tatum Horn Tucker, so I'd have him bump him out sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And to wrap up this discussion here, so we keep mentioning they're they're tied for first in the West. Or actually, they are currently only first in the West after Phoenix's uh, loss the other day. Now... Where do you think they go from here? Do you think what what would your plan be for them? Would you want them to keep competing and just hope Minnesota sucks and that's where you get your young piece? Would you want to bottom out? Would you want to trade Conley or Clarkson? Because I was hoping the Sixers would try to make a, a Clarkson trade. Then we lost our second round pick. So even if Utah was bad, we probably wouldn't be able to pull it off. But what do you think they should do from here? Do you think we should go? They should go with Danny Ainge's vision, or do you think Will Hardy should keep letting his guys cook here? So I think when they were four and one, I would have you know thought about tanking. Or but at this point, they actually have something going. It's going to be demoralizing to the whole players on the roster if hey you guys win, okay, and the punishment is you get traded. Where 
it seems like they're actually enjoying playing in Utah, which is the first time that's been a <laughs> real thing in like the last three years. Yeah. So the team's playing well. I don't know they're I don't think they're a real title threat. But at this point, I think they're better than the Lakers. They're probably yeah. better than the Kings and better than all like the playing teams. So I think they're yeah. actually a playoff contender. Come playoff time, no one's gonna pick them to win a series and that makes sense, but they have something going, keep it, see where it goes. They've if they had no draft, if they only had their picks, then maybe tank. But considering how many picks they have, I mean, I don't think they're going to get Wembenyana anyways. If that was, that's no guarantee. That's right. one out of the fourteen bad teams league are going right. to get them. So at this point, they won too many games too for their own pick to be that good. Yeah. So if I'm the Jazz, I'm writing this year out. Have fun this year. You're not probably going to get Wembenyana Wembenyama anyways. So just hope the Timberwolves are bad. They look terrible anyways. Yeah. The Timberwolves now look like the Jazz, where the players aren't having fun, no one's moving, and Gobert's just in the paint calling for the ball to do a post-up, but no one wants to give it to him. So, and actually, Gobert's, I think... Yeah, Gobert's the, the least of the problems. I know, honestly. I was going to say, Gobert, it's like, we're watching the game before, and Gobert's yeah. actually the one person trying on that team, where Bane stole the ball and ran past two Timberwolves players who just jogged back and watched Bane go wide open layup. So I hate him from t- from Minnesota, which is great for the Jazz. Yeah, I would. I'm in agreement. I think they should keep this. Try to keep this going because, to your point, they're already ten and three. Like they're already kind of out of the the race for the top two worst teams. So at least record wise, they could still get lucky in the lottery. But that's you're playing chances. That's that's too. Yeah. You have no idea what's going to happen. To your point. So I agree. I think you might as well play this out. Is there any like Western Conference contender you think they could threaten? Like out of like the the people we have in our head, one of the legitimate ones. Yeah. Um. Well, Minnesota's out. What have been Minnesota? Uh. Let's see here. I don't I, think like I have the Grizzlies ahead of them. And I went to the Nuggets. The Warriors think will be better. Yeah. But I feel like any of those teams, they think they could beat the Suns. I don't think that's you know. I think the, I think the one thing this Utah team, I know they're playing pretty solidly on defense right now. I just think if your guards are Conley, Clarkson, and Sexton, your height, you don't have a lot of height there. I know Conley's a good defender, but unless he's guarding another guard, I don't know if he's going to change the game for you that much. I think it really just depends on like the matchup where I would say the Mavericks, but I think Luka is something that they can't guard. Right. I don't think Rudy Gay is going to be able to be the number one defender against <laughs> Luka. No. So it's, it really depends on the matchup. I think they can beat the Blazers, the Suns, the Clippers. I don't think so if Kawhi's actually healthy, but... Right. I think the Pelicans, maybe they actually have a chance against. I hope not. Just, I, the Pelicans started really good. They're starting to lose some games they should win. Didn't they yeah. beat New Orleans a couple games back? I think yeah. so. But it's the West They're is beating weird. good teams, too, by the way. They, their wins are legit. They've beaten the, good teams. The West is weird, where a lot of the teams that we thought would be good are pretty middle of the pack. I'm, I'm not a, worried about the Warriors at all. Though. The Warriors are not even them, just like other yeah. teams. So like the Mavericks only one game above 500. And then all the bad teams are actually good, where yeah. the Thunder with Shea Gilles-Alexander look like an actual good team who I genuinely believe could be a playing team. Yeah. The Spurs, I don't think that's going to last. But, but they're playing well. They're playing well. So yeah. I think it's just a lot about how your team plays together. And I would I can't even blame Donovan Mitchell when he was on the Jazz because we see him in Cleveland. That's a win-win for both sides. Yeah. Cleveland gets better, Jazz get better, Donovan Mitchell's happy. Mm-hmm. But it's just when you have no one star, you can just rely on the team, which I feel like is one of the purest forms of basketball. And this might sound weird just comparing it to like European basketball, but you watch the Olympics, and the only reason why the other teams can compete is because they actually have ball movement right. and they don't just rely on one star, mm-hmm. which, I mean, at the end of the day, if it's isolation and playoffs might not work, but... It gets you pretty far if your team is passing and actually getting open shots, which I feel like a lot of teams at this point just said whatever. We will rely on our talent more than a scheme for an everyday game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that we can kind of switch gears here because 
we were talking about Wembenyama because everyone thought Utah would be them and the Spurs would be at the front of those sweepstakes, and they're they're not right now either of them, especially Utah, but even the Spurs. So where do you think this whole Wembenyama sweepstakes goes from here? Because all the teams we thought we were going to go all in on getting him aren't, and and it's kind of been left to teams like the Lakers, who we know are trying to win now. And they're not even going to get Wemby on the Pelicans would get yeah. it, if the Lakers, but the Lakers aren't tanking, so we know that's not going to last. So who do you think, you know, if we, we project a couple of months from now, how do you think this Wembenyama race evolves? Because right now it feels like it doesn't exist, and everyone was saying this is going to be a huge narrative, and I don't feel like it is right now. I feel like it's not just because of the bad teams playing well, but I feel like there are still bad teams. I really don't want him to go to Charlotte, because Charlotte's 3-10 and 10 right yeah. now. I don't, that team looks like that's no fun to watch right now, but... Detroit, I feel like, could be good with Cade. I love Cade. I know they have, oh, Duran, but I don't think, I oh, think, yeah. yeah that's compared to Wembenyama, <laughs> that's literally nothing. Yeah. Jaden Ivey looks still pretty raw. So I think the Pistons are one of the top guys that can keep tanking. And the Rockets aren't doing great. I thought Jabari Smith would be better. We yeah, watched. We were watching his highlights I on watched, our favorite, our new favorite website. I found a website shows you every field goal attempt, and uh, Jabari Smith can made a or attempted a heavily contested shot every single time <laughs> without moving, and got blocked consecutively. Yeah. So I'm not loving what I'm seeing from Jabari. Jalen Green's been fine, but I don't love Kevin Porter. But you know who's been amazing? My guy Alperun Shengun. He's averaging 17 points per game. Now, is he the worst defender in the league by defensive rating? Yes, he is. But he is everything I ever wanted Anus Kanner to be. I tweeted that out. And what I mean by that, I mean, your guy watched a lot of Thunder in the yeah. back in the day. No and defense. It, well, I mean, Shengun also has no defense because, you know, he's just slow-footed. But yeah. I feel like Alperun Shengun is, he's actually like a legit post-threat. Where Anus Kanner, I know he was as well. But, I don't know, it's just, Shengun feels like he has this extra touch. That's straight out of the 90s, where Ennis Kanner was like, I'm tall, and I can back you down the post, and I'll, I'll score on you. I don't know. I don't see. I don't think Ennis Kanner was ever this good. I feel like what really helps— This is such I, a I think, stupid topic for the podcast, but if, you, if you're this <laughs> far in, you care about basketball, so we're going to talk about this. Uh, I feel like Kanter's one of his main things, though, was his offensive rebounding. Uh-huh. Not defensive rebounding. His offensive yeah. rebounding was like the other thing he did elite. I think Sengun's a better post-threat scorer, as you said, and I love this comparison, by the way. Yeah. For the Come Radio <laughs> podcast I did, my guy who was standing out, we, we tried picking under-the-radar guys who we liked, and mine was Sengun. Yeah. So The Rockets, too intense. Sengun has been one of their standouts. It's really him and Jalen Green are their main two standouts. I don't mm-hmm. think Kevin Porter's the solution long-term as the guard position. And then Jabari, as we mentioned, I think he'll get better, but... Yeah, the Rockets and I think the Pistons are the top threats. The Magic might, but the Magic already. Have. I think they're going to turn it around. I really like that Magic team. We can talk about you. You love Paolo. I you? do love Paolo. Um, shout out JP. He was right about Paolo. He he let me know the other day. You know, I I don't know what to expect from Paolo because he clearly I think was the best college player. Just it was they're saying he's one of the most you know well crafted like polished players coming into the draft. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot about the draft, but one of the few guys I actually knew about was Paolo, which is a good sign. Because yeah. if I know about him, they must be really good. <laughs> so the fact is, he's been great. His first five games, he had at least 20 points. He's been fairly consistent, but he's a big body. Not even height-wise, but he's not one of these skinny guys that comes in that needs to bulk up. He's like big and strong like already. And the Magic already have one of the tallest lineups out there. Yeah, because Bull Bull, bro. Bull Bull oh with Mo Bomb out there, Wendell yeah. Carter Jr., uh, Franz Wagner, Wagner has been really good. Wagner, Wagner. 
Wagner. I, <laughs> these guys' names. I like Jabari Smith, so the world. I mean, Paulo is averaging 23 points, 8 assists, and or 8 rebounds and 3 assists. As, <laughs> no, he's not averaging 8 assists. Like, he's shooting 25% from 3, and he's going to improve that. Like, he's going to just keep getting better. I know the Magic aren't good. But out of all the bad teams, I feel like they're the team that might get better as the year evolves. I feel like just their best player is their rookie, which is a really like yeah. good sign for the future. Is that right. he's this good now? I agree. And then just <laughs> so much of that team is just young and tall, but he's clearly their best player. I love what they're doing. Not even the team. I just love Paolo. The rest of the team is fine. Yeah. But what he's doing is great. They have a lot of injuries too. Cole Anthony, Gary Harris. I think Terrence Ross was dinged up. Like they're missing guys. I think they can be better. I'm just excited for the Jalen Suggs revenge season. Yes. Here. That too. Uh, one of the guys I believed in from last year's. Hey draft. man, LeBron knew he was going to make that. <laughs> he's going to make that shot. The LeBron memes this week have been great. Dude, LeBron knew the ke- the Jazz would be ten and three. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I told it. Danny Ainge, don't trade Mike Conley. Don't trade Mike Conley. I told him. LeBron, LeBron always knows. I don't know why that's ninety percent of my feed now, but I'm because all for it's it. freaking hilarious. That's why. What, what was his most recent one that caused the memes? Like, what was his? No, that thing one? is, I don't know what the most recent one was. I just know that one day I went. Oh, TikTok. it was it was that takeoff pass, and LeBron said he like had been listening to Migos since 2010 and knew they were gonna blow up, <laughs> but like Migos didn't drop their first album until 2011 or something. So then that's what sparked the meme. Put that aside. The LeBron <laughs> memes aside. Getting back to our central uh, discussion point here. So, you mentioned Charlotte. They do seem like the worst team in the league. Yeah. That is, they have their pick, I'm almost positive. That is the last team I want Wemby on. I know him and LaMelo could work pretty well together, mm-hmm. but I just think that, like, they've rehired Steve Clifford, who, as, as I said in the, in the preseason, like, they have, a, they have a defensive coach with a roster of no defenders, not a single defender in sight. And... I just think that they're like three years away from even even like putting a supporting cast around Melo, and I don't even I don't I just don't want that. Uh, this is yeah, this is the last team I'd want him to go to. The Hornets were fun to watch two years ago, but they've even only gotten last year. yeah last year too. But they just gotten so much worse. And Lamelo's I think still good. Just he's mainly a passer. I don't think he's gonna evolve into the scorer, which is fine if well, he had scores he around him. Yet. He hasn't played yet, which is what we're ho- I'm hoping leads to them not being the worst team, because I don't want Wembenyama on Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, but just like, in general, like, Lamelo's game is mainly built on passing, but yeah. when there's not a lot of people around him, that's not going to work. I agree. Um, and then, wait, I mean, did you have you talked about, like, Miles Bridges? But he's he like, yeah. was one of their best players, and now he's gone, they don't right. get any compensation for him, right. which... I mean, technically, right now, they're playing without their two best players from last season. Yeah, that's the main point is why they suck this year. Yeah. But Rozier is going to do Rozier things and put up points. I think yeah. he's kind of like Colin Sexton when he was on the bad I Cavs agree. team. And then Kelly Oubre is there. Gordon Hayward, but he's going to get injured for most of the season yeah. anyways. Like, I, none of their guys are popping off. And Terry Except Rozier, Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> he's been balling. He's averaging 1.9 steals per game. You know, LeBron knew that was going to happen with oh Dennis Smith God. Jr. That he's was known his guy. everything. Actually, J. Cole knew that was going to happen with Dennis Smith Jr. But Dennis Smith Jr. is like actually shooting efficiently, which he's literally never done ever. I looked. <laughs> he is having his best uh, offense. He has his highest offensive rating of his career by far this year. He's shooting pretty effectively from three-point. I was thinking about making a TikTok about him. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to do it. But... He's been starting in LaMelo's absence. I think he's played well, but he's also not, like, he's still not a good defender outside of those steals. Like, he's not going to actually slow down, like, a great guard. Though. I'm not, he also has .6 blocks, which is kind of absurd for a guard. See, but, but like, maybe Steve Clifford's coaching his working, man. Like, I don't know, but they're still bad. The Hornets are not fun to watch this year. I mean, also, Wimbenyama needs to shorten his name because it's hard to pronounce. Wendy. Wemby. Wemby. Or Victor. Or just Victor. Victor. I'll call him Victor because yeah. I like that. It's easier to pronounce, but... Mm-hmm. 
it's just I'm hoping it's a fun team, and I feel like a young team can be fun. I'm just hoping it's not one of these bad teams where they have no hope for the future. It's weird because, like, Charlotte wouldn't draft Scoot Henderson if they got the second pick because, like, they don't need, like, a point guard. I feel like you have to draft that's him, though. Tr- well, okay, that's a good point. I guess they would trade Rozier and try to just do, like, an yeah. ultra version you don't, of LaMelo. You don't Rozier. not draft Scoot because you have yeah. Rozier. Yeah, I mean, you. that's fair. That's yeah. fair. It would just be, like, weird because, like, I think Scoot Henderson is – he's basically, like, a great passer and a great scorer right? from what I can understand. So, I don't know, like – he he's been under talked about, but he's he's supposed to be really oh. really good too. No, he's like actually good. Just yeah. when Victor Wembanyama is seven yeah. four <laughs> and like Kevin Durant and yeah. Giannis mix, it's right. just not gonna. You're not gonna talk about Scoot at all. I saw like people say like NBA media will go out of business if Victor Wembanyama is a bust. If he's a like, bust, that'd be the most devastating. Like this is Especially, the most excited like, I've been. If he for gets hurt, he gets hurt. I mean, but like he's also he's not like Chet Holmgren or like. You know Sean Bradley though, where he's like frail, tall. Like he's built, he's muscle. I mean, muscular. he's not super built. I mean, he is pretty twiggish, but it's well, not. It's not as he's bad not like as Jack Chet. like Giannis. I know, yeah. but for a nineteen-year-old who's like that tall, like he's not a twig. He's not a twig. It's just when you're that tall, you can't really be like when he's in the M- on an NBA like in the NBA gyms working out with NBA coaches. He's gonna get bigger, and that's just gonna make him even better. Yeah, I feel like just once you reach that height, you just have to like eat so much and get so much muscle just to, like, have it fit your gigantic size frame, which is, like, almost impossible. Yeah. So, Giannis is pushing it, but Giannis managed to put on muscle just, like, look at Kevin, mm-hmm. or Kevin Durant, I'll yeah. clarify, just, like, he's never put on muscle at all, but he doesn't really try to, but I think Wimbanyama's main thing is the injury, as you mentioned, where it's the last excited, like, the last rookie this good has been Zion, or prospect is good Zion, and before that it's probably lebron or something like that so mm-hmm. most excited i've been i actually know who he is before his this year which means he's a good prospect if right. i know him right and then he could do everything i really like what i'm seeing i know it's like he's not averaging that many points per game or whatever but he's gonna be great when you're that good and polished at that height mm-hmm. you're gonna be fine i agree so just to wrap it up so <sighs> So we, we talked about Charlotte. Like, I'm trying to think who the other contenders are right now. I guess the Spurs will probably drop back off. Oh, contenders for Victor? Yeah, I think they will, right? Like, I think the Spurs eventually get into that bottom five. Houston probably – I don't know. I like Houston, but uh, I, I, I could see them in Detroit also being bad at some point. This I think year. Detroit's going to be this other big you know competitor for this yeah. first pick. I think the Spurs' issue is – well, it's not an issue. I mean, you kind of want to win games, but like yeah. – their thing is their guys aren't even going crazy. It's just what the team is, and they play a solid basketball, which is better than the Lakers who can't even like function offensively right. or defensively. So they're actually just a solidly coached team where Pop isn't Pop's not going to train them to lose. I think he's just going to let them go out there and play. And that I feel like everyone's talented enough to win enough games. So I feel like the only other team that could really collapse. I feel like the Pacers are five and six, maybe, but Tyrese That's has been it. I really for, good. I forgot about them, but at the same time, if they don't trade Miles Turner, but yeah, they're as I said before the season, I like their team. But Matherin like has been going crazy. Right. He's if if Paolo wasn't doing this, Matherin would be the big story for yeah, rookies this year. So so like I'm trying to think of some other bench players. Can Matherin be the first uh, six man of the year that was a rookie since Ben Gordon? Like it's in play because he's coming off the bench right now. Right now he's coming off the bench. I don't know if that's gonna. If they keep him on the bench, then he could win like for a sixth man of the year. I just don't know if you want to keep him on the bench. I'd want to see him and Halliburton as right. much together as I can. I think they are playing a lot together. I mean, I watched the Sixers play them, and they did get on the floor together a decent bit. But yeah, yeah he's getting a lot. He's getting know. a lot of minutes, and yeah. they are getting time together. Just he's going to be. You want him to be the starter for the future if he's playing this well. You don't mm-hmm. want to keep him as the sixth man. So yeah. if he stays the sixth man, he can because of how good his scoring is and. 
he's a rookie, so it's going to be a little inconsistent, but that's how six men are anyways, so yeah. it fits really well. I mean, Paolo's a starter, so he's going to get more time, more touches, and be a bigger part of the team, but mm-hmm. Benedict Matherin's been phenomenal so far. Yeah, I definitely agree. I I think it's in the Pacers' best interest to trade Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. It doesn't have to be the Lakers, it's just we don't know who's going to trade for those guys quite yet. It might just be one of them now. I mean, if it's not the Lakers package, maybe one team trades for one of those two guys. But to get worse, I think... I think the Pacers are definitely, now that the Jazz have kind of bowed out of the race, I think they have, the Pacers have an opportunity to kind of cement themselves as the season goes along Yeah, as one of the worst teams. I think they should take up on that opportunity. Yeah, I feel like the Jazz are the one. And honestly, if the Lakers have any injury to LeBron, oh I mean, LeBron's God. dinged up right well, now. When Davis gets, if I know, when saying, Davis gets hurt. Yeah, Davis is the biggest like health risk in the league, beside, probably in the league. Yeah. So if he gets hurt, the Pelicans might have Zion... Brandon Ingram. Maybe that's what we should root for. That would be insanity. Like, that would be insane. Dude, I don't know if Wembenyama and Zion would work, but that is, I just want to see You might as well try it for Dude. a couple years. <laughs> Worst case, you trade one for a boatload of picks. Shooting guard, Brandon Ingram. Like, that's what that would be. Or if even Scoot on that team. Like, Wembenyama well, oh, or Scoot. That's a good point. Or yeah. Scoot. Like, either one of those players on the Pelicans I love CJ McCollum. And he's been, I think he's done an admirable job as the point guard this year, but he's not a true point guard. No, Scoot I, would yeah. be incredible for this team. Yeah, Actually, not... I think I think what I would want to see is, if I had to say what I'm rooting for, Wemby goes with Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict, because I really like those guys, especially Halley. I think that would be fun. I know that would be the, the East with the Sixers, but that aside. And then I want to see Scoot Henderson, with the Laker pick, go to the Pelicans and have him, Zion, and Brandon Ingram, and Herb Jones, and CJ McCollum. And that would be incredible. And Jonas. Yeah. The list goes on. The Pelicans are super deep. And I feel like that the Pelicans getting one of the first would be fun. I feel like I want Cade. I I don't know why. I just love Cade that much. Where whenever one picks, so I obviously okay. knew about him. Detroit as well. I yeah. want to see Detroit, because I think Cade's that good. I think Ivy's going to get better. I think right now he yeah. plays fast and like a little uncontrolled. So. Mm-hmm. But with them, with I think Wembenyama works better for them than Scoot does. So I think if they get a pick, I want them to be the first pick. Yeah. But yeah, the Pelicans getting one of the first two would be so funny if it was the <laughs> Lakers pick, where Wembenyama would just replace AD and that would solve their problems. Yeah. I feel like a lot they could trade AD, but they just can't get their mm-hmm. pick back. So yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out. I'm excited to see. I, I mean, college basketball is just getting started. I mean, these two guys aren't in the aren't even in the NCAA, so I'm sure there'll be a third guy who kind of runs college basketball that eventually emerges but for now those are the two main guys yeah. uh this early in the year so i'm excited to see how the bottom of the league shakes out you guys are probably if, you, if you're if you still listening you probably like this but at the same time you're like why aren't we talking about the good teams well we talked about utah but we're gonna have all season to talk about the warriors and the bucks and the pelicans and i talk about the sixers every day so like well i also feel like a lot of it is all the good teams got a lot of coverage and they don't change a lot where yeah. i feel like the surprises this year have been the bad teams where right. guess what Giannis is still good at basketball yeah yeah okay, like, Luke, let's talk about Giannis scoring 38 points for the millionth yeah, time yeah, yeah joe Giannis is good at offense and defense once again like we know what's gonna happen yeah. the mavs are gonna be centric on luca there has been a lot of big things like that and i don't think like the lakers and the nets get talked about 25 times a day <laughs> yeah. too much so I mean, I, I, already, like, I already did a Nets thing on this podcast. There's nothing less to say about that. Exactly. They're not good, though, either, but that's besides <laughs> the point. But anyway, that's going to wrap up this edition of Trust the Podcast. Thank you for sticking with us through the end. Chris, thank you for coming on and talking about all this goofy NBA topics. My I mean, the jazz. Topics. Yeah, the best topics to talk about. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure to follow Trust the Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or follow the TikTok as well. And other than that, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening.